Okay, please stand and turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25. This is going to be the background, an important background, as we'll find, for our sermon text tonight in Luke chapter 1. Okay, so Genesis 25, starting at verse 19. Um, Let's ask for God's blessing on his word. Our Father in heaven, thank you. We can read the scriptures now. We pray that you would speak through them to us and that your word would not return empty, but would accomplish the purpose that you send it out for. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 25, starting at verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. There is a lot more to the story of Jacob and Esau that comes after that, but our attention tonight will be on another pair of baby boys we're going to learn about here in Luke Chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. Luke 1, 39 to 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. This morning we talked quite a bit about Psalm 8. And um, everything that Psalm 8 says about mankind in general, about Christ in particular, being made lower than the angels, and yet also crowned with glory and honor. And one of the lines that I love in Psalm 8 comes in verse 2, 
begins, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And then it says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Out of the mouth of babies and infants. Uh, The point there is that the Lord is able to work supernaturally, even through the very young, those who naturally uh, don't even have, don't have the brain development to think very deeply about spiritual things. And yet the Lord, through them, is able to work above and beyond what comes naturally in order to do what he plans to do to save his people. He's able to use the weak things of the world um, to overcome the strong. And I love the fact that in worship, our children are learning, well, perfect timing, are learning from the very tenderest of ages to sing out from their hearts with the rest of us. And even when they're young, too, uh, too young to sing, they are not too young to cry sometimes. And uh, to remind all of us, we are here, like the, the who's in Whoville. You know, we are here, we are here, we are here. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, God is establishing his strength right here among us in our gathered worship. Uh, as one pastor, I've told you this before, one pastor said about babies crying in church when I was growing up, my family loved to quote it, he would say, it's the sound of the covenant. And it is exactly that. It's the sound of what God is doing to um, work through ways that most people would perceive as, as weak and helpless. Well, it, today's passage takes that whole idea to an, uh, another level deeper even than that. Because it is not just babies and infants in arms that God can use. This passage... It's infants yet in the womb, not yet born, and yet already the Lord through them is establishing his strength. He is making known his plan of salvation through these little ones, littler than little, still growing within their mother's bodies. It's astounding. Uh, We recently started reading through the Gospel of Luke in our family worship at night uh, after dinner, and so when we read chapter 1, uh, this passage made a special impression on me this time around, and so I wanted to reflect on it a little more and share it with you tonight. So let's look at it tonight in three parts. First of all, the pre-born prophet, verses 39 to 41a, and then second, an awesome honor, verses 41b to 44, and third, the blessing of believing, verse 45. So the pre-born prophet, an awesome honor, and the blessing of believing. All right, now the context here. We're just jumping, parachuting into the middle of Luke 1. Um, Mary, of course, has just been told by the angel Gabriel that she is going to become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. and She's going to give birth to a baby boy whose name will be Jesus. It's the Annunciation, is the previous passage. And he's going to be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord is going to give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So Mary has just learned... She's about to become the mother of the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. And at first, this is naturally perplexing to her. She asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? But in the end, Mary responds with this very remarkable humility and faith, not only uh, believing this outlandish message, of Gabriel, and embracing that idea that nothing will be impossible with God. 
but she's also showing that she is willing to participate um, in humility in this, this plan of God that for her, we should not miss the fact that it's likely to prove uh, quite costly for Mary. We also should remember, thinking about the context here, that uh, Mary becoming pregnant with Jesus is actually the second of two miraculous pregnancies in Luke chapter 1 that go together. Uh, Luke actually starts not with Mary at the beginning of the chapter, but with Zechariah and Elizabeth and their uh, baby boy John the Baptist. So Elizabeth's pregnancy was also supernatural in uh, a different way. It was not a virgin birth, but still a miraculous one since Elizabeth was well past uh, childbearing age and had been barren all her life. But um, the Lord promised and then actually gave to Zechariah and Elizabeth this, this pregnancy with John the Baptist. And in fact, when Gabriel came to Mary, uh, he told Mary, look, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Um, and so Jesus and John the Baptist, who are going to be linked so closely in their ministries as, as grown-ups, uh, we now find were linked even before their births by these um, kind of twin miracles of, of uh, their conception and also by the family relationship between their mothers. We don't exact, know exactly what that family relationship was, perhaps some kind of cousin uh, relationship, but um, Gabriel simply calls Elizabeth Mary's relative. Okay, so <clears throat> picking up with verse 39, what does Mary do after the Annunciation? Well, she decides, I'm going to go and visit Elizabeth. <clears throat> you think about this uh, remarkable shared experience that these two women are going through. Um, despite their substantial difference in age, they are sharing uh, uh, the experience of these miraculous pregnancies that perhaps nobody else in all of Israel and all of the world would be able to understand in the way that they would be able to understand one another. Um, you can imagine the difficulty for Mary of, of becoming pregnant when everyone in her community knew that she wasn't married. And, and you have to ask, you know, how many people in her community do you think would really understand what was going on there? Um, how many people do you think might begin to think and talk about her and treat her in very unjust ways because of their assumptions about what, what Mary must have done, supposedly? But Elizabeth, on the other hand, Elizabeth is someone that Mary could expect to understand and to believe her and also to share with her in the wonder of what was going on. And so... In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, this is not a, a trivial journey for Mary to take, um, especially in early pregnancy. Uh, assuming that Zechariah and Elizabeth lived pretty close to Jerusalem since he was a priest, well, it's 65 miles as the crow flies from Nazareth, where Mary was, uh, to Jerusalem, um, 90 miles if you were to drive it by highway, uh, today anyway. Uh, so this would have been a, a pretty long trip for Mary in any case, but she goes there with haste. And there are a couple things to think about here. I, I'm going to admit at the outset, these are kind of tangents. I don't want to claim that these are the main points of the passage, but I might as well think for a second about 
um, some applications here to our own relationships, what we're seeing here take place between Mary and Elizabeth. I want to ask you the question, what relationships do you have in your life where you can go to someone and you can share with them the experience of God's power and grace in your life with, with people who really get it, who share that experience of the power and grace of God? And I also want to ask the question, is this a priority for us in our fellowship in the church to seek each other out specifically to talk about and to give thanks together for the work of God in each of our lives. Not just to keep it to ourselves, have it be an individual thing. Because this is one of the ways that Christian fellowship ought to be different from um, mere friendship and, and other kinds of social relationships outside the church. There is this miraculous, supernatural experience of the grace of God that we each have tasted individually, that God has worked in each of our lives. And that ought to be something that we are eager to share with each other, to talk about together. And that's something I'd like to see us grow in, in terms of our church culture, for it to be normal, for it to be natural, for it not to be awkward and uncomfortable, for us to be able to go to go past the kind of surfacey small talk and, and to be able to ask each other very freely, what is God doing in your life right now? What is God doing in your life? How are you experiencing the grace of God? Here's, here's something that God has been teaching me. You know, here's a way that the Lord is helping me, showing me my sin, encouraging me with, encouraging me with his promises. And if we can learn to talk about those kinds of things openly together, I think that we will find that we share with one another things that we don't share with people outside the church, outside of Christ. Things that people who have not experienced that miracle of new birth, right? That miraculous birth that we have undergone through the Holy Spirit's power. People who haven't experienced that can't sympathize with us in the way that our brothers and sisters can, who have also experienced that same miraculous birth, the Holy Spirit. So let's think about that in terms of our interactions with one another in the church. I would also ask you, about yourself, are you the kind of person, like Elizabeth proved to be for Mary here, are you the kind of person that others can come to and expect to find understanding and encouragement and sympathy and welcome? Think about what Mary hoped to find and did, in fact, find with Elizabeth that she might not have expected and found back in her hometown of Nazareth. Um, And you can ask yourself, then how can I, by God's grace, um, be that place of welcome and safety and encouragement for somebody else? Okay, let's keep going here. Verse 41. Uh, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Okay. Now, about to share something that I think is pretty neat. I had probably heard this before at some point, but I had forgotten it until I was doing the research for this. Um, earlier we read from Genesis chapter 25, right? Uh, and there are quite a number of connections between uh, Luke 1 and the book of Genesis. For example, the experience of Zechariah and Elizabeth, that's pretty obvious echo 
uh, the way that Luke writes it, uh, an echo of the experience of Abraham and Sarah, uh, who also were not able to have children until their advanced years, and the Lord brought about the supernatural birth of Isaac. Um, And then there's also the Annunciation about the virgin birth, and you realize, well, the, the birth of Jesus is going to be an even greater miracle than the birth of Isaac or the, or the birth of John. It's an advancement. So John's birth echoes the birth of Isaac, and then you realize Jesus' birth is going to be something even grander, even more miraculous. Well, Genesis 25 is another point of connection with this chapter of Luke because uh, in that description of Jacob and Esau str- struggling in Rebekah's womb, uh, it's Isaac's wife, the, the word for struggle there in the, in the Greek Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, uh, uh, the translation that Luke would have known and used as a Greek-speaking person. Um, that word for struggle in Greek is the same word used here in verse 41 for leaped. John the Baptist is doing in Elizabeth's womb Exactly the same thing that Jacob and Esau did in Rebekah's womb. You understand this? Luke knows his Septuagint, and it's likely no accident that he uses the same word. He's recalling that Genesis context to mind yet again, as he has already done earlier in the chapter. Okay, so it's, it's normal, of course, for uh, women to feel uh, fetal movements. Verse 36 said that Elizabeth was already six months along here. Um, but, but this is something different from normal movement of a baby. This is something dramatic. This is something that Elizabeth can tell. This is not ordinary. Um, In other places in the Old Testament, the the same word describes um, baby animals skipping or leaping around. You imagine like a lamb or a calf sort of frolicking around and and jumping. Um, That's what it felt like for Rebecca, and that's what it felt like now for Elizabeth. That's what it felt was happening inside her. Very dramatic, very noticeable difference here. And so later, when John the Baptist and Jesus um, are both grown men, you you remember that account where John sees Jesus approaching, and immediately John the Baptist makes that prophetic statement, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That um, instant, instinctive response to the presence of Christ there in his adult ministry. And really, this is the whole point of John the Baptist's um, life and ministry. It is to, his job, his prophetic task was to recognize Jesus as the coming Savior and to point all of Israel towards him, to say, look, there he is. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one you need to listen to and and to prepare the way for him to come. So um, remember what Gabriel had already told Zechariah. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, John the Baptist will be, even from his mother's womb. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he's going to go before the Lord, preparing God's people to be ready for his coming. And what we're seeing here is that even before his birth, this pre-born prophet is already carrying out his mission. He's already recognizing the pre-born Savior coming into his family's house. And he's, he's, John the Baptist is turning somersaults in his mother's womb to show her, to show Elizabeth. He's here. He's here. Get ready. Greet him. Receive him. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. That's what John the Baptist is 
signaling to his own mother. Okay, another quick tangent application. Again, this is not the main point of the passage, but I want to mention it while we're here. This is one of the very important places in Scripture uh, that affirm the value and the sacredness of pre-born human life, human life in the womb. Okay, so John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb, as well as Jesus in Mary's womb. These are not things. They are not... Um, a part of their mothers. They are individuals. They are persons. They are human beings with bodies and souls of their own. And in John's case, the Lord is pleased to use this pre-born baby to make his mother aware of this awesome honor that she is being given. Even as the pre-born Savior enters her home for the first time in the body of his mother, Mary. It's amazing to contemplate just how unique and um, profound this moment is. And it is, I, I use that phrase, an awesome honor. That's our second point tonight. It is indeed an awesome honor. And Elizabeth is very quick to recognize that and to marvel at this awesome honor that she is being given. It says, And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. So now Elizabeth is prophesying as well. This is an inspired blessing that she's about to give to Mary. She says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, I want to mention here, if you're from a Roman Catholic background, or if you have close friends or family who are Roman Catholic, then you're probably very aware that this is, what I've just read there, is part of the uh, Hail Mary prayer that Roman Catholics address to Mary. They... um, combine the way that Gabriel greets Mary in the Annunciation, and then they add to it the way Elizabeth greets Mary here, and they say, okay, well, I guess that's what we are to say to Mary. And then at the end of of the Hail Mary, they ask Mary to pray for us. Now, I don't don't think I have to convince you that there are many problems with this approach, this this praying to Mary. Um, But just want to, I think, understanding this text rightly helps us understand why that is a serious error. Starting with this, um, nowhere, nowhere does the Bible tell God's people to talk to Mary or, or really to talk to any other believer from the past who has uh, died and entered glory. Um, we're, not, we're not supposed to think of uh, those who have died and gone on to heaven as though they can hear and respond to us, um, and, uh, uh, much less are we ever taught to use these words of Elizabeth, who, by the way, was a unique, one-of-a-kind person with a unique, one-of-a-kind relationship to Mary at a unique, one-of-a-kind moment in history. We're not to use Elizabeth as a model for us. Uh, of how to supposedly talk to Mary ourselves. There's never been a moment like this before or since, okay? Um, so Elizabeth is not setting the pattern here for us of how to talk to Mary, uh, although she is describing something very important about Mary and, more importantly, about Mary's son. Uh, there's another serious problem, of course, with, with praying in this way, uh, perhaps the most serious of all, praying those words to Mary Here's the most important problem, is it keeps people's attention focused on her and away from Jesus. Okay? And that 
is the exact opposite of Elizabeth's intent here. John the Baptist leaped in his mother's womb, not because Mary was so special, but because Mary's son was so special, because Jesus was so special. Elizabeth blesses Mary here. Why? Because she is the mother of her Lord. And so that idolatrous worship of Mary that Rome teaches um, does the same thing that all idolatry does. It distracts us from the true God. It distracts us from the true Savior, from the true point of prayer, and it substitutes something else, someone else, in his place. Simpendus directly on that great... We've talked, we've talked recently with our Roman study about the solas of the Reformation, grace alone and faith alone in particular. Here we're talking about Christ alone, in Christ alone. Uh, Christ alone is our mediator between God and men. The point of this episode here of Elizabeth greeting of Mary of, of Elizabeth greeting Mary um, is to show us this: that even before his birth, even before his birth, Jesus's presence in Elizabeth's home was an awesome honor. That the God of heaven and earth, the Creator and King of the universe, had entered into his universe in this humblest of ways and had given Elizabeth this amazing privilege of welcoming him into her own home before he had even been born. Imagine that. I wonder if we have even a fraction, even a fraction of Elizabeth's understanding, insight, and her wonder at having Christ present with us. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's present with us now in a different way, of course, now that he has lived and died for our sins, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven. He's not with us physically. We don't see him face to face right now. He's ruling and reigning in heaven. But what has he done? He's poured out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Christ's own presence with us. He is the spirit of Christ. Uh, He is described frequently as the spirit of Christ. Think about that. Uh, One of the many names that was given to Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. What an awesome honor that is, not only for Elizabeth, but for every heart that prepares him room. And yet we have gotten so used to it. Yeah. You think, eh, we do this every Sunday. Ah, Jesus is with me all the time. Why should this awesome honor be granted to us that Christ would be present with us and within us, that he would dwell with us in our hearts and in our homes and in our worship and our fellowship as a church. God with us, Emmanuel. Let's never lose the wonder of that and the sense of undeserving, undeserved favor and grace. Let's be amazed again along with Elizabeth. Be able to ask, why would this be granted to us? Okay, last point, the blessing of believing. 
Again, I don't think I have to convince most of you that that Roman Catholicism is wrong about the way they treat Mary. They turn Mary into an idol that turns people away from Christ. It's a great tragedy. So how should we think about Mary then? Um, How should the uh, story of Mary, her life, her faith, make a difference in our Christian lives? There are a few answers to that, but one I think is very important, and we can see it here in verse 45. And blessed is she who believed. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You see here, Mary is not to be the object of our prayers, much less the object of of our faith. But I'll tell you what she is, among other things. She is a spectacular example for our faith. Understand that? So rather than turning our hearts towards Mary, directing our prayers and reverence in her direction, instead, what Scripture is teaching us to do is to think, where was Mary looking? What direction was she facing spiritually? And, And let's turn the same way. Let's turn the same direction. Let's Face the same way she was facing. What's so special about Mary, according to Elizabeth? It's not merely the bare fact that she was the mother of the Lord Jesus. What was it about her character? It's that she believed the promise of God. She believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So ironically and tragically, in the same move where where Rome distracts people from that Christ-alone aspect of the gospel by adding Mary as another go-between, another mediator between us and God, they're also distracting us, distracting people from the faith-alone aspect of the gospel because all of those Hail Mary prayers become what? They become a religious ritual. They become a good work that people are taught to do to make up for their sin and to cooperate with the grace of God through penance so that they can finally be justified if they do that well enough, faithfully enough. Brothers and sisters, that is not the gospel that saved Mary herself. It is the opposite of what the actual history of Mary's life really teaches us. You see, Mary was blessed because she believed the word of God. It was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ her Son alone, that Mary was going to be blessed. And Elizabeth recognized that right away. Mary, after all, was carrying in her womb, let's not forget this, Mary was carrying in her womb the Savior who was not many years later going to die on the cross for Mary's own sins. Mary was carrying in her womb the Savior who was going to purchase forgiveness and eternal life for her as well as for all others who believe that there will be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to us from the Lord. That's the remarkable mystery of the incarnation here, that yes, Mary was Jesus' human mother, but before that, Jesus was Mary's creator. And he would remain also her redeemer, and her king, as well as ours, for the forever future. 
And so the opportunity for us tonight is not to look at Mary and be all enamored by her virtue with our attention focused on her. The opportunity for us tonight is to stand next to Mary and Elizabeth in the company of God's people and to turn and look in the same direction that they were looking. And the Lord's message for you tonight is, Blessed are you when you believe that there will be a fulfillment of what the Lord has spoken to you in his Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this extraordinary little episode in the middle of the beginning of Luke's gospel. Thank you for giving us this glimpse into this deeply personal and intimate interaction between Mary and Elizabeth, and yet through them pointing us beyond these women to the Savior, Jesus, who was to be born humbly, to live faithfully, to die cruelly, to rise victoriously for their salvation and for ours. Strengthen our faith in him and the promises you've given us in the Lord Jesus so that we may believe that there will be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to us from the Lord and so experience the blessing that Mary enjoyed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.